Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. By now, you should know that I love Grenache. In fact, I always say that Pinot Noir wants to be Grenache when it grows up. That's why I'm so excited to be a part of the first annual Grenache Fest. It's taking place on November 3rd, 2023 in downtown Walla Walla, Washington at the Historic Motor Co. We're going to kick things off with a seminar moderated by yours truly at 5 p.m., followed by live music, food, wine, and fun from 7 p.m. until. While the seminar is sold out, there are still a few tickets left for the festival, which will feature performances by Stephen Malkmus, M. Ward, and Mark Pickerel. Go to GrenacheFest.com for more information and to purchase your tickets today. Hey, I'm MJ Taller also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is Xanadu Wines Chief Winemaker, Glenn Goodall. Uh, Glenn fell into wine at the age of 19 while on a surfing trip to Australia. Nine years later, he had completed vintages in Bordeaux, South Africa, New Zealand, and California, all while finishing his Bachelor of Agricultural Science and Enology at the University of Adelaide. In 1999, Glenn joined the team at Xanadu and Margaret River, becoming senior winemaker in 2006. And at Xanadu, uh, Glenn and his team have tallied up an unbelievable 339 gold medals and 127 trophies across regional and national wine shows, which would be like some type of, if there was like Olympics of wine, that'd probably be pretty damn good. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> and in 2022, he received the 2023 Holiday Wine Companion Winemaker of the Year. Welcome, Glenn. Awesome to be here. Man. Glad glad you could, we could uh, do it. I know you... Uh, you're running around the city. Oh, this, this place is mental. Like getting from A to B takes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quicker to walk, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's impressive. Impressive town, that's for sure. Yeah, um, we got a ton of wines. Here's some glasses for you. Uh, what what uh, what should we start with? And we 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 have uh, you know we have dump buckets and all that because there's a lot of wine. Uh, but I know you have a couple of wines. So Xanadu is the uh, the company, right? Yeah. Part of the Rathbone. Yeah, the Rathbone Wine Group. So, yeah, the Rathbone Wine Group, so they're a Melbourne-based company, um, and they purchased Sanadu in uh, 2005. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, a lot of people, you know, they talk about Australia as the Australian, you know, the Australian wine category, but like the size of America, you know, Margaret River is 4,000 kilometres from, from head office over in Melbourne. So, uh, wow. So from my perspective, it's um, it's kind of cool because all the grown-ups are way over there. Yeah. It's, it's a three-hour time zone difference, and uh, you can sort of march to your own drumbeat when you when you when you way down in the Margaret River. But it's um, 
Yeah, it's part of the Rathbone Wine Group. Um, it was founded in the, in the late 70s, 1977, by an Irish doctor. Um, as were a lot of the original wineries in, in Margaret River, the sort of doctors got into it. So, it's like part of the wineries in Napa Valley. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe they got the disposable income, or maybe they yeah, just like wine. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, of course, of course, I'm older than you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure looking at when you graduate and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I see Xanadu and I think uh, of Australia's greatest export, Olivia Newton John. Mm. You know, it was a shitty movie, but. You know, nah, but it's quite funny. The amount, <laughs> quite a buck for the amount of trade shows where someone comes up with leg warmers on singing the. And it's uh, full of like, singing yeah, Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's. Uh, but there's a reason why I'm not in marketing because you know I was going oh maybe we should milk that and like if we did a sparkling one we could call it let's get physical but F I Z Z oh dude <laughs> I, you know I was talking to Taya before like it's not a bad marketing idea man today's I like that let's get physical okay all right so, uh, well you guys better go to Oregon because somebody is going to steal that yeah <laughs> no, it's really like we don't make a lot of bubbles and um. Well, we did, we did, I did actually do some bubbles, and it's like some of the, well, not the ones here, but yeah. some of the ones we had sort of started off at work where, because I've been there for 24 years, so it's, it's been a real journey for me going through that, that period, but like I said, the tyranny of distance allows you to, you know, have a look at doing a few different wines and different wine styles, and quite often it's, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, mm -hmm. you know. So like, the first time I did a bubble, so it was really just, it was a staff line, just to show my staff how to make bubbling. And then Doug Rathbone, who's like the, the patriarch of the library, right. someone, I don't know how he found out, he just said, came to me and he just said, turn it into cash. So, unfortunately that, well, unfortunately for the staff, it ended up under a, a label and, you know, there have been some other things like that, fortified, even we've got, a, we don't have it so much in America because it sells out so fast domestically, a single vineyard label called Stevens Road. And oh. again, that was sort of a, um, yeah, a sort of side project that just, yeah, just, Blew up and just went very well. <laughs> so this is um, vine work. So that's like a, 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 I guess a level. And this is a uh, this is a Bordeaux style Sauvignon Blanc Simeon. Yeah. But not Bordeaux. I'm getting I get that New World. I get a lot of grassiness. Like I don't get like so. Did this this one of stainless steel any oak? I'm not getting like when I think when I see Sauvignon Blanc and Simeon, I'm thinking white Bordeaux. And I'm thinking something a little bit richer. Yeah. Well, this is, um, I think the marriage of these two varieties works really well in Margaret River. You know, it's, it's uh, sometimes the, um, uh, the whole is greater than some of its parts. And like these two, you know, as individual varieties, they work really well. Um, this blend here is about two thirds Sauvignon Blanc, one third Simeon. Most of it's just tank, but like, as in tank fermented, with yep. just a varietal, you know, just an aromatic yeast strain. But I do like with the vine work range to ferment a little bit in oak, but kind of like it if that oak's just on the customer perception like is it there or is it not so that it's not a full-on fumé kind of style but right. it just adds a little bit more texture and um, yeah do it, we do a bit of lease stirring with it and I tend to always just do the savvy um, as far as the barrel fermenting mm -hmm. component goes I think the Simeon's generally a little bit more delicate and um, even though that's one of the styles that Xanadu sort of cut its teeth on we're really big into Simeon but mm -hmm. um, if only People drank straight Simeon. It's not a it's not a huge seller even domestically. So we still do it, but just just. For I love a straight Simeon, which right? It's not. It's it's, it's uncommon. Um, I'd say most American people definitely don't know about it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a hand sell, but yep. sometimes some some uh, 
some single varietal semions, they're absolutely stunning and age-worthy as well. Mm -hmm. Like to the point that you're looking at some older, you know, uh, um, examples of semion with some bulb maturation, and they've got this lovely toastiness, and and you're kind of going, wow, is this a riesling? Is it a semion? Is it a chardonnay? I'm not too sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think from a Margaret River perspective, and you know, for for us, we. We, well, we do do the, the varietals just in small small amounts. It's the blend that, that, is our, uh, that we're really well known for as a region. Gotcha. So, man, let's start at the beginning. Where, where are you from? I'm uh, from a little town called Whangarei in Northland, New Zealand. All right. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a cool town. Kind of, it's, not, it's not exactly a wine town. It's not a town that's uh, got any sort of claim to fame other than... Uh, um, Crime rate. <laughs> I was saying, uh, closest big city in New Zealand. So the Christchurch is a, what's it's it? Auckland. So it's Auckland, it's, okay. it's, it's in it's in um, yeah, the top end of North Island. Okay. Um, that's yeah. It doesn't didn't really have a wine industry. Um, I would, you know did all my schooling there. To be honest, I don't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know I was going to be a winemaker. That's for sure. Yeah. I was, you know, uh, my first job was was a lifeguard. I was a paid lifeguard, and that was I thought ah, the novelty you know wore off cleaning. Uh, pools pretty quick. <laughs> it's kind of like that's where you're a glorified cleaner at the time. But yeah, I did a right at school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, when I was younger, about 16, my mum and dad they split up. Mum moved to Oz. Um, so I, uh, after you know, after a year of lifeguarding, which uh, you know had a finite sort of term on it, I sort of said to myself, oh, I'll go and see mum. Go on a bit of a surfing holiday over there, and um, I ended up staying for a bit longer than I expected. And I thought, oh, I can't just bludge off mum, I've got to get some work. Um, so I ended up uh, working in a vineyard, planting vines. And to be honest, they just saw, I was 19 at the time, they saw this young Kiwi guy and they went, hey, that guy's a good worker. Like, he's, you know, everyone else, you know, smoke and break every five minutes, but I was actually, I don't know, that's just how I am. Yeah. So they said, look, he's a good worker, let's give him a job in the winery. And the only reason I was working in the vineyard was it was a job. I had no aspirations. Yeah, I was like, it was just a job that was available. I went wow. into the winery and just went, it just hit me and I went, oh man, oh, this place is cool. Just the camaraderie of vintage, um, the smell of the place. Um, yeah, and I, from there, you know, wine making is a great vehicle to travel, meet people. One of the guys I was with there was said, hey, do you want to come work with me in Bordeaux at my family winery? So. You know, six months later, I was in Bordeaux. A couple of years later, I was in South Africa, and um, yeah, it sort of went from there. Who, who was what family was like? Oh, it was, it was Christian Moyes. Uh, like, so people, people always think like, oh, it's like Alan yeah, Petrus. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, I was, I think it was Muta. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, certainly when I was in South Africa, I was working with Walter Finlayson, who's a definite mentor. who was at Glen Carlo, and he was, you know, a, a very well-respected winemaker over there. Yeah. And I remember just being, you know. Working all day and then helping out with just other stuff as well. It's just a lovely family environment. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, I'd go down and work in the winery, and then he actually had cows as well. And it's like, um, do you want to come out and help me with cows? And I was like, sure. And I'm like, I didn't realize it was like he was artificially inseminating the cows, and he wanted me to help out with a bit of, you know, what, what do I hum a bit of Julio Iglesias or what do you want? It's not very romantic. Little, little stimulation. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just. And his wife was great, and I remember just doing the dishes one night with his wife and Jill, and that was an action. I don't know why, we just had a great meal, we had a great bottle of wine, and I was like, this is what I do for a career. 
So after that finish, I came back and enrolled in university, and yeah, that was kind of the start of my career. So growing up, no wine in your family? Like your family didn't have wine on the dinner table? Oh, maybe on a birthday, a bottle of Blue Nun would come out. Uh, uh, no, no, uh, was it no cloudy day? No, no, mum and dad never really drank wine. Uh, I remember the first time I made the first wine that I could, you know, hand on heart say, I made this wine, I brought it home to my mum, who's a teetotaler, and she kind of went, it's a bit sour, love. and she got a teaspoon of sugar and stuck it in oh. and stirred it around I'm like, thanks mum, stuck that dang out, mum. Put some sugar in your wine. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, I love that it was just it was just a job because you know the, the flip you would think okay it's just a job so why are you working tomorrow right like like hey man I'm just here to keep the endless summer going you yeah. know um, and and um, it, it parlayed that so um, you, you said Bordeaux what part of Bordeaux what, was Graf no, I was at the Manor Graf okay Graf which is it was great for me because um, uh, it was my first introduction to. You know, real introduction to Cabernet, where mm -hmm. I was in mm -hmm. Casagrande, Port Macquarie, mm -hmm. wasn't really well known for for Cabernet, and um, yeah, just that that introduction to Cab was, yeah, I didn't really realise how important it would become in my career, and you know, we used to do things little, you know, every night we do blind tasting, and yeah. you, you got to go into the into their cellar or, oh. or into the tank farm, like it was, the whole objective was to trick everyone else and to yeah. you know. And back then, that, what year was that? That was 1990. They said, you know, just go into the, into the cellar, pick a bottle of anything, put it in a paper bag, come out, and we'll, you know, play 20 questions. And I didn't know Jack about, you know, first growth, second growth, let alone um, uh, areas of Bordeaux. And I just got this one, that's a cool label. Put it in, and it was a, a Pichon Comtesse de la 1982. And but they had boxes of it. They had more than well, I know, but it was like, really, it was like they had like, dude, they had like four stacks of this shit. They literally had, well, I don't know, about four stacks, but they had several boxes, and I was, you know, polite enough not to go and find the last bottle of anything. Yeah. But um, eighty two. Yeah, I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. And to the point where every time it was my turn, I just went back and got the same bottle because it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. And then. Um, it was after Bordeaux is when you came back and enrolled in school, is that correct? Or did you go to South Africa? Um, yeah, I went from Bordeaux. I was living in London at the time, just doing a you know, classic Anzac tour of duty, working behind a bar, um, earning you know, three and a half quid an hour. And not, you know, and like London, you know, it's, it's a great place when you've got money. Yeah. But if you don't have money, it's kind of like you wake up and there's this grey dishcloth over this whole city every time. I was like, man, I need some sunshine. <laughs> and uh, just through a contact um, that I've met, um, in fact, it was the same guy I was with in France. Yeah. Uh, he said, oh, here's a contact. Uh, he's looking for someone to work in um, uh, South Africa. And I went down there. That was in 1992. Um, did my vintage. And this is where Walter Finlayson was the, um, the winemaker there. And because he had, was diversifying with cows and all these other sorts of things, he just gave me so much, oh, what's the word, just empowerment. Like he... You know, he said, hey, can you write, oh, I'm going to organise the picking. Can you organise, you know, the pressing that and the staff and this stuff? Oh, so he, like, de de he um, delegated stuff to you. He delegated so much to me, and, and I actually, at the time, just said, I should tell you what, Walter, I'm actually not a qualified winemaker. I'm pretty handy in the cellar, but, you know, I'm not quite. And he goes, no, no, you're doing fine. And I think it was just the faith that he put in me, and that was that same time when I was, you know, decided this is what I wanted to do as a career. Because, yeah. um, 
yeah, just replaying that faith in spades because you, when you get empowered, you sink or swim, and I obviously swum, uh, but I just just loved it and loved the fact that I was actually had a definite influence on what was going on with the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with some um, some very um, some really good mentoring without being overbearing at all. So it was cool. That's really cool. Um, and and you know, it's so interesting because. Like you're you're in that like so Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. That's that's a different part of the sector of the world, right? Yeah. Um, and like you said, people do travel, uh, particularly when they first get the wine, because like there's different hemispheres, so you can go work in California, right? And then and then it's flipped. You know, the seasons are flipped, so you get opportunities to do that. Um, but you didn't. Like you went to university for this. Like you weren't, you hadn't gone to university before. You were surfing. You were doing yeah. Water. So it's quite. It's kind of cool. Like I felt as though, for me, I went about it in a way that worked for me because I I did I worked in the cellar and I worked in vineyards and I figured out that it was something that I liked and then I went and studied it. I do hear about a lot of people who go out and study something and then they they have a total career change. I've oh yeah. Four years oh, and yeah. doing something. Yeah. So um, that's a lot of people in the states. Like, yeah, I was like, I know people who, who I know a woman who had to finish medical school so she could make. I was like, well, you got to finish medical school before she can make wine. Like, you know, yeah. like just that investment in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's insane. Or just you know, another one who was pre med and was working in a lab and then just fell. And, but it, I think it's and I'll, you speak to this because you are actually a winemaker um, and you actually I do love how you did it. Like. Out first, um, but um, I, I think I don't know. Does the average person not realize how? I think wine attracts very smart, creative people, like more so you think. You know? Yeah, I think people who um, well, I you, you you can't be afraid of hard work because it's not all glamorous. Well, that's the thing too. It's not all swanning like, around tasting it, wine. Yeah, people think it's like I'm like wine is this fucking farmer, dude. Like it's, oh, like, it's, 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 it's farming, it's agriculture, yeah, and in yeah. the winery, it's it's 65% cleaning, and, and if you look at the quality of wine, if I'm totally honest, it's like, it's it's 10% winemaking, 90% vineyard. Uh, there's so much, you know, if you can't get it right in the vineyard, my old man always used to say, you can't make diamonds out of bricks, mate. It's, like, <laughs> it's so true, and like, when, when you've got really good building blocks, that's uh, what sort of translates through to a really good wine, and um, yeah, so it's, but between that, and then, you know, if you've got a, a bit of a know-how on, you know, there's a bit of a scientific, a science background to yeah. it, there's a lot of art, there's a bit of luck, there's a bit of agriculture, um, but at the end of the day, a lot of winemaking, and I think good winemakers in, in particular is, well, actually any industry, it's about relationships. Like, I reckon whether you're making iPhone, or maybe not iPhones, but whether you're making glasses, shoes, um, if you've got really good relationships with your growers, with your staff, with your clients, um, they're all on board with, they buy into what you want to try and achieve. So that's, um, yeah, it's a team sport, that's for sure. Yeah, it totally is. And I guess another label, this is a, the Circa. So that's Circa 77, yeah. this, this label here. Um, so Circa 77, that just refers to, you know, it was around about 1977. In fact, it was 1977 when Xanadu was founded okay. um, uh, by Dr. John. Um, and so, yeah, one of the pioneers, given that the whole Margaret region commercially has only really been making wine for just over 50 years. 
um, you know, we've come a long way in such a short amount of time. Um, so that's this is our entry level Chardonnay. Um, every photo on all these bottles, by the way, at this entry level are just beaches in Margaret River. So that's Baranup Beach, that's like one of my favourite favorite surfing beaches. Um, it's just, yeah, it's like surfing in Bombay Sapphire down there. The water is so gin blue clear. Um, but the style of Chardonnay that, that we make is very much um, uh, reliant on you know, some of the clones that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, the heritage clone that we have for Chardonnay is called Jinjin. And Jinjin, um, it, it, it's got a sort of a checkered history how it got to my river. You know, actually was brought over by a, a US professor who was engaged with by the WA Ag Department to have a look at you know, some wine growing regions. His name was Harold Olmo. Um, from UC Davis, and he brought in this Pinot Chardonnay with Chardonnay, uh, but it was called Pinot Chardonnay yeah. at the time yeah. as a virus indicator. What happens with ginger is the fruit doesn't set, it's, and it's an inherent part of, of this climb. So you get these a lot of mirandage or hen and chicken, where you get the sort of pea size and peppercorn size berries on the same thing. Yeah. Actually, no, I want to show you a photo because it's not great for podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, as a result, you get these little. Um, you know, corn cob hand grenade sized bunches and they've just got so much intensity of flavour. Mm -hmm. um, they do have more phenolics as well because there's you know the, there's a lot of skin there with those little little berries. Um, but that's one of one of the great things about Margaret Chardonnay is that this heritage client of ours has just got a lot of volume and generosity. And from that perspective, when you look at all of our Chardonnays, whether it's our entry level right through to our reserve, which we don't unfortunately have here today, um, I don't all of that's wild fermented. Um, I don't allow MLF for any of those wines because oh. I, I think that it kind of needs, well it doesn't need, it can cope with that high, naturally high acidity because there's so much um, uh, power in the mm -hmm. Chardonnay. Um, do use a fair bit of leaf stirring so that batonnage you know, gives that textural foil to the, to the naturally quite high acid and um, all of it's done in barrel. Even this entry level wine is, is all barrel even though um, you know, a lot of these, but you know, there's not much new oak and this would be 5% mm -hmm. best. Um, but you know, it's, I think for me, it's about when you're doing a big volume or wild. Yes, a couple of reasons why it's good to do it in barrels. You're, you're spreading risk because not even barrels going to work out, so you can easily cull those barrels out. Um, but also, from a textural perspective, you get a lot more surface area because you're doing it in lots of barrels. So the surface area volume ratios heaps more in small vessels rather than trying to emulate that in a big tank with oak staves or oak chips. It's just yeah, I've got a different philosophy. I just like keep it pretty, keep it simple. That's my uh, philosophy. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's seventy-seven. That's that's you're right. That's a very young wine region. Um, do you know the story or share a little bit about why Dr. John ended up and you know like why did he go to the Margaret River? I mean, like it was obviously probably Barossa was more well known at that point. Yeah, well, they immigrated to, they had both John and Ethan Lane. John passed away a few years ago, a few years ago, about 15 years ago, and Ethan's still kicking. Um, she still drops into the winery when she's, when she's down, but um, they had a uh, practice in, um, a, a medical practice, they're both doctors in near Perth. Um, but, you know, part of the reason why Margaret River um, has got so, such a vibrant wine industry, it's one of the few regions of the world that was actually identified as being a region that would be great for wine growing before any commercial mm. vineyards were planted. So it 
it was back in the 60s, the, um, there was an um, agronomist who worked for the WA Ag Department called Dr. John Gladstons, who went down there, looked at soil, looked at a lot of the, t- the climate data, and just said, hey, there's a lot of similarity between this place and Bordeaux with its maritime climate. And, and so he recommended to the WA government, because it was still a pretty fledgling um, industry in, uh, there was next to no industry outside of the Swan Valley at the time, mm-hmm. uh, encouraging people to plant vines down there. So. As I mentioned, you know, a lot of doctors were the first ones to plant. The very first one was at Vas Felix, that was in 1967. And then, you know, you look at Cullens, Piero, Cape Mantel, uh, Mosswood, you know, a lot of those were planted by doctors as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think, you know, Dr. John and, and Ethan, you know, could see the writing on the wall and uh, they had a nice sea change and moved down to Margaret River and, um, and planted our first vines in 1977. And, um you mentioned that the agronomist thought it was similar to Bordeaux, and yet you do have Chardonnays um, there. Um, what and and was that Chardonnay from the first things planted there, or was it Cabernet? No, nah, it was Cabernet, and, and what was in vogue was Riesling at the time. And, you know, I would say uh, that it's you know Riesling, pretty much anything grows well in the Margaret River, but I, I think that it's found a real affinity for for Cabernet and Chardonnay. Okay. Um, it's quite interesting. Somebody asked me the other day about you know if, if it was identified as a as a great Cabernet area, how come it does Chardonnay so well? Right. And I had to think about that, and I, I kind of ended up going, well, when was the last time you tried a bad Chardonnay from Bordeaux? And he kind of went, mm, yeah, good point. I don't know, because you know obviously they don't make Chardonnay in Bordeaux. Right. And so maybe if they well, they might soon. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> climate change but yeah I mean you're right we don't know because somebody's gonna have some plants someone somebody's got like some like, they make it like some, yeah like yeah. a half barrel or something. Yeah, somebody some, oh there's always somebody there'll, who's be, got some, there'll be some yeah. bootleg Chardonnay rolling yeah. around there I want to try it <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> um, so that's cool and like what's the temperature like there's what's the what's the diurnal shift or what makes it so well does that play into it or yeah well it's very much a Mediterranean maritime climate, right, right. so it's it's you know winter we cop a lot of storms and we get a pretty you know uh, the vast majority of our rainfall falls within a six month period okay. uh, and then in summer it's very dry it's very low humidity um, you know what you know our normal you know in in winter I don't know what Fahrenheit would be equivalent to but in Celsius in winter we might go from say two or three degrees to twenty degrees okay and in summer we might go from at the peak of summer, we might go from 15 degrees to maybe 30, maybe 35. But where we are is we're about three hours south of Perth. Okay. If Perth's 40 degrees, we'll be 35. It's always about five degrees cooler in Margaret River than it is up in Perth. And, and I think that's the beauty for us that allows us to um, make some wines, particularly when it comes to Cabernet to allow the Cabernet to be there and get this full physiological ripeness, tannin ripeness. But there's this great big air conditioner out there called the Indian Ocean that arcs up at about 11.30 every morning and has this lovely cooling influence. So you can still have that hang time, but it's got this, this, it retains its vibrancy and its freshness without getting any of those sort of cooked stewed characters that you can get from some of the warmer areas. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, cause like Australia is like, how big is Australia compared? Like, is like, is it like, is it as big as California? Is it as big as Texas? Uh, it's about the same footprint as the US, maybe a little bit bigger. But um, so, what's the US? Four thousand k's east west. Something like 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, three time zones. Um, um, so it's uh, yeah. It's that's why it's like when people talk about Australia, it's like you know, uh, Australia had a good vintage or Australia had a bad vintage. It's pretty hard to kind of put them all in the same basket. You know. Yeah. It's, it's like trying to compare Burgundy with Sicily or something. Mm-hmm. It's like similar kind of distance. Right. Um, so and and Western Australia is um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty unique proposition, particularly down in Margaret River. Um, you know, sometimes you know all the heat and uh, things that the, some of the East Coast has experienced over the last few years, and we've actually been totally immune to it. It's you know we're, quite often you you're at a show and you're judging wines or something, and some East Coast winemaker says, "Oh, Margaret River have another awesome vintage I hear." It's like I'm not going to apologise for it, it's just, uh, but yeah, no, we're really blessed where we are with that, uh, just that run of great vintages. The last really tricky one was probably 2006, to give you some context. 2006, that's when you became senior winemaker. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was my first year, <laughs> and it was the worst vintage that Crawley Margaret River could, and, but it was kind of cool, because it, it really set the ground rules between me and my boss and the Rathbone family, because, um, Okay, it's my first vintage. I've just paid $25 million for this new winery, Zandu. Mm-hmm. And first vintage, and we're doing the allocation tastings. And I'm like, shall I, shall I say it? Shall I say it? And in the end, I went, well, do you know what? I don't think we should make a reserve this year. And they said, really? I said, no, it's just not a good year. And I don't think, you know, this is the first year with, under uh, my stewardship and your ownership. Uh, let's, I just don't think we should make a reserve wine because it's, we're not putting a best foot forward. And they, they said, okay, cool. And I was like, okay, I'm on a roll here. In fact, I don't think we should be making a premium cabinet either. Um, and they were like, well, I yeah, said, serious, <laughs> seriously, um, which is this label, this black label. I said, honestly, having been here for a while, this is a pretty tough vintage. Don't get me wrong, there were some good cabinets that did come out yeah. um, uh, from some, some good producers, but it was, it was a tough year. And when the, my bosses agreed, I kind of went, oh, cool, we're on the same level here. It's, it's not about volume, it's not about um, anything other than trying to make the best wine possible. And the next year was a superb vintage, so it was awesome when we were able to put our best foot forward and have not back since. Very cool, very cool. And how long did you been out of school at that point? Uh, I, I was a mature age student, because I left school when I was 18, okay. and then I was a lifeguard for a year. And then, I, as you said, I you know, lived the dream and chased summer doing northern and southern hemispheres. Mm-hmm. And then went back to uni. So 2006, I would have been uh, 36. Oh. 36 years old, 53 years old now. Oh. So it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a great introduction and, and you know, having cut my teeth in an area that did have um, some some challenging viticultural climates, and then to go to Margaret River where it was just like, oh my God, this is utopia. But what, what's quite interesting is, is um, you know, there's, there's actually almost a generation of winemakers in Margaret River now who haven't ever had to experience a difficult vintage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. It's like, like, like but for Mount Palmer fires in California, it's like, yeah, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good, to great vintage, <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's a certain baseline. Yeah. Um, 
what was it like being because like I went to I went to grads I went to graduate school here and it was always interesting when you would have like that older student right so I went like I was still I was a little bit older so I was like I was on a six-year plan, so when I got to grad school, I was like 25, but there was kids who were like 22. Yeah. And then you have someone who like was married and had kids, and they were 39, and they're in law school, and like they, they took that shit really seriously. Did yeah. you, like, was that a thing because you were older or just because you loved it? I mean, I think also this is something that you love, so it was different. Yeah, it was interesting because like, it was the same. Like when I was studying, when was that? I finished in 96, so I was 26 at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, in Adelaide, um, you know, you, in South Australia, which is where Rosewood University, yeah. uh, Adelaide University is, um, you know, some of the, the way their school system set up, some of those guys are studying winemaking at the age of 17, mm -hmm. which is below the legal drinking age. <laughs> so it's kind of ironic. Um, I, when I was there, um, I knuckled down and I made it work. Um, you know, I was never, I wasn't a great student, but. Uh, I loved what I was, what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do, and importantly, I was paying for it myself. So it changes things. Yeah. See, I, I took out loans. See, in America, we take out loans, so you don't think you're paying for it. And you're like, oh fuck, I'm paying for this. Yeah. No, actually, and I'm paying interest. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's a thing in Australia called HEX. It's called Higher Education Contribution Scheme. So that was part of the reason why, to be honest, I had to become an Australian citizen. Okay. Is so that you get some subsidy from the government yeah. for your studies. But then when you start working they add it onto your tax, so you start paying it back. Yeah. But everything else I was paying for myself, so um, I had a vested interest in, in not digging sure. around and actually sure. making sure I, I came out of it and passed and I had a job to go to already, which was great. But um, it was funny when you go back there as a, as a you know, someone who had already worked in the industry versus these kids straight out of school, right. or people that had a previous career and then they had a, you know, a, a uh, epiphany and they decided they wanted to be a winemaker. You're all in there, and it's, even I remember engineering, whereas there was the lecturer who was talking about stratification and tanks, and he was trying to set up a prac, and I was like, oh, just let me do it, man. Like, because you can see that as an academic as opposed to someone who worked with pumps. Right, yeah, 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 you're like, get out the way. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but, but then when it came to the, the academics, you know, the, the other side of it was, um, yeah, I had some great people who really helped me, where I was like, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, a great winemaker in, in Australia, Steve Lamster, he did his first vintage with me and I remember, you know, he was studying and I, and I, and I said, look, I'll show you how to, you know, do this in the winery and he goes, cool, I'll show you how to do this in the laboratory and I was, it was good, it's, um, you share that knowledge. You mentioned that earlier and I think it's, I've been, even just with the rise of the influencer, the wine influencer, the social media influencer, mm -hmm. that... <clears throat> Like working in a Michelin star restaurant is not sexy per se. That's like hard shit. Like that's like, oh, yeah. like you know. I think people we've had movies about it makes it look. And, but I think people don't understand how much other people love it. Like what it takes. Like you watch some of these stories about these these Michelin star chefs. Man, they're like throwing cleavers at people. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. They don't play like 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 this table would go back and, and like there's a, a speck on this table and it's in the table like this table would go back to the manufacturer like yeah like that level of precision and with wine it is it's like I'm like oh stick my nose in the glass and yeah no nah, th we see that we see that we see that we see the tip of the iceberg not nah <laughs> you, you, the people don't see you know especially vintage uh, vintage is a love-hate relationship I love vintage but it's like 
because we have a long vintage because we've got Chardonnay, one of the earliest ripening varieties, and Cabernet, one of the latest. So, you know, vintage in Margaret River can be anything from like two months to three months. Oof, yeah, it's not um, so, you know, that's, you know, once you've yep. pressed everything off and mm-hmm. so on. Um, and it's incredible. Like, I don't need an alarm clock in vintage. Like, I want to wake up and I just have the circadian rhythm that says, right, I'm up, I'm out. I like to get into the vineyards and look at fruit before it gets too warm. Yeah. I think you can make bad decisions if you're tasting warm fruit. Yeah. Um, and you know you work all you work all day, and and then I try as much as possible to socialise as well with the team. Yeah. So when when they knock off and they have a few beers, I always try and make time to sit yeah. down and have a few beers with the guys and girls because they uh, I don't know that's part of the whole camaraderie of vintage. Yeah. The flip side of that is okay, then they all go home, and then you've got to go back finish what you're doing, then plan what's happening tomorrow and just juggle things. And yeah, it's not as simple as let's pick that block and that block. It's okay, it's the logistics of, right, I gotta get the nets off that. So I gotta get, let them know four days, five days in advance to get the nets off, book a harvester, book a truck, make sure I got a tank to put it in, um, press that tank so that we can move it. So yeah, it's like a great big game of Tetris when you're in the yeah, water, you're trying yeah. to figure out how it's all gonna go. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's yeah, it's a labour of love though. You know, it's it's a hard graft at times, but there's good times as well. Like you know, come to the states and yeah. and swan around and have <laughs> some nice dinners. No, no, I get it, but it's but it is it is like you know like I have I have friend I have I have lots of friends who are winemakers now, especially since we're doing the podcast and and like you know I have this one buddy like. He eats ramen every day for breakfast for six weeks. Like he just eats it. Like since he becomes a machine, like he yeah. just doesn't want to think about what he's eating for breakfast. Which is boom, 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 right? And then like you said, and this guy, you know, he, sometimes he's making like thirty skews. Yeah. You know, and like you said, he's these these the logistics of it, and I don't. And he he was kind of, and he's like, he's like, I love it because I'm so ADD. It, it keeps me. I'm stimulated the whole time. Yeah. But. Same thing you said. He's also about the culture, right? Like, take it's the team, making sure you're taking good uh, people, the leadership, watching people develop. Um, yeah, love that part of it. Uh, that's a huge part of why I love winemaking. It's that cultural aspect, that teamwork aspect. Like I said, winemaking is totally a team sport. The winemaker often fronts, you know, a label. Yeah. But there's so many other people who are behind it, including the growers. Who sometimes the growers. Aren't even employed by Sanitary, they're, they're mm-hmm. suppliers. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, notwithstanding that, you know, you have two or three days of Mondays, like it's just Monday every day for three months. Um, there's no weekend. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's that, that team and that opportunity when you get, particularly we always get interns from overseas, that mm-hmm. opportunity to, to, you know, give them a really good experience of not just the winemaking. But you know, give them some mentoring and, and bits and pieces. But on the same token, learn from them because they can actually they often bring a lot more to the party. They got some different ideas, different perspectives on things. Sometimes it's just systems. Sometimes it's a you know really different um, stylistic view on wines, and it's it's got to be a two way street. Um, mm. You know, you got to be true to your style, but you've got to be open minded as well. Yeah. And also, when we come to Marks, uh, Margaret River, I really try and make sure that they get to experience Margaret River, like not just the winery. So like, like like this year we crew from uh, Argentina, France, Belgium, Champagne, yeah. um, and we had a bit of a hiatus between the whites and the reds, and like rather than just get the guys scrubbing tanks, like they'd clean the joint to within an inch of its life. It was like tell you what, let's all meet 
If we all meet here at six, I'll take you all down the beach and I'll show you how to go and get abalone. So we, we take all these guys from um, all over the world and to take them out and give them a pair of you know, masks and snorkels and go around and show them what an abalone looks like, get them to you know, um, harvest their own abalone and just that whole experience like that will take them to the beach or oh, yeah. take them down to Brown Up Forest. Like, you know, half of these guys, they're, they're already got timeshare sleeping bags at the tavern. So they're getting outside to see other things is, and they come back and they just get a much broader experience of Margaret River than just the winery. I think it's really important as well. That's super cool. I love that. Abalone, mm. Harp Hamlin. See, this winemakers cool do cool shit. Um, we got some reds. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned about how you love having your crews come in. You came out to California. Where did you go in California and what was that harvest like? Um, I went for McCrosty wines. McCrosty? Um, yeah. And it was, it was cool. Um, I had a choice. So that they, they, so you got to do some Pinot Noir. Uh, I mainly just did Chardonnay at that just time because um, it was. I don't know if Steve's got his own winery now, yeah. but like he um, at the time, I was he did some stuff out of Roche Winery. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, at the time, I kind of said to myself, right, I want I can kind of work for a really big winery or a really little one. Right. And I something out for a really little one. And um, McRosty at that stage, um, I don't think they had their own facilities. But uh, when I went there and I was. The, uh, Michael Carr was the winemaker and the, he was doing a lot of stuff out of Roche and uh, they were pressing it, I think it was a Tattinger and then I'd sort of oversee the pressing, the juice would go to a tanker, we'd go to like a warehouse in Napa yep. and then I'd unload the tanker and then basically barrel it all down and deal with all the ferments and after about a, not even a week's and I was pretty senior at that stage, I was a winemaker at Casa Grains and they kind of went, oh this guy knows what he's doing and they kind of just left me to it, um, which was kind of really, um, I was uh, grateful for that. They gave me that much kind of autonomy. But the, the only flip side was I didn't really learn as much as if I'd been right. with other people. Right. Because right. I was like, this is, I could do this standing on my head. Right. Like, right. Um, um, and like, like woohoo, we scored. Not <laughs> <laughs> to teach this guy anything. Yeah, maybe. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and then, because my wife was working up at Sydney. Uh, right. Much bigger winery. She's a winemaker as well. She's a winemaker at Cape Mattel in, in my room. And um, actually, yeah, there was that vintage. That was the 97 vintage where uh, we were doing vintage. We both managed to get a score a weekend off. And we just went, do you want to go to Tahoe? And he was like, yeah, we went to Burry. Let's go to Tahoe and get married. So oh, nice. we, we literally just hired a convertible. <laughs> drove from California, or drove from um, to the Vegas, to the Nevada side, to the Nevada side. Yeah, got married. Where you know, marriage places like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like booked in for my wedding at like ten thirty. Got married at two. Um, the you know the the, uh, the witnesses were like the photographer yeah. and the cleaner. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we, and then we went back and um, uh, went back to work and. It was uh, yeah, it was a really really cool experience uh, doing that, but um, yeah, I did enjoy that, and I did um, and I know I really, really enjoyed it up at Sydney, and um, yeah, it's, it's that was probably the not might have been then I came, then we kind of came back and sort of set not so much settled down, all we did we settled down, yeah, the you know once that's when I took on I ended up uh, being a contract winemaker for a year in Margaret River, and then joined Sandler in '99, and yeah, the the Northern Hemisphere vintages just didn't happen after that 
I think the only one I saw after that was um, not working, but we we won a trophy in, in Australia called the Jimmy Watson Trophy. So it's a it's the best one, two year old wine, and, and oddly enough, it's probably the most famous trophy in Australia. Um, uh, it's like the only one that you'll see on the six o'clock news type thing. And, but when you win it, they give you a fifteen thousand dollars scholarship to go anywhere in the world and uh, learn more about winemaking in another country. And I was like, sick, I'm going to Burgundy, which is like I don't make Pinot, I don't drink a lot of Pinot. I'm really, you know, my Cabernet runs in my blood, but it was just like um, I'm going up there, and uh, so you know, in August apparently everything shuts down and nobody's around. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, well, you're gonna have to go in September. Then I was like, oh, but that's vintage, and like I know it's an awesome time to go because you can, you know, you immerse yourself in what's going on. But I know what it's like when you're trying to get on with vintage. Right. Hosting people can sometimes be a oh man, I got so much to do, but just Again, the wine industry is just awesome and how generous people are with their time. Like, you go there and you can see after uh, 10 minutes, people relax and then what was going to be a 30 minute tour becomes a, you know, two and a half hour and let's try this one and this one and open another bottle and uh, yeah, it was awesome. Oh man, you got to go to Burgundy. That's pretty sick. Um, what's the deal with this wine? So like there's, you have a, like, you know, we have, a, we, we're, we're here and we have like almost the full range of wines. Not all of them, but... Um, yeah, so this is our entry-level Cabernet. This is Circuit 77 Cabernet. Um, 2020 was a smoking good vintage early. Um, warm, uh, dry, good marry blossom, um, which is important for us. Um, the, the, so you sort of remember vintages by whether or not the marry trees blossom. We got, we got these trees in, in WA called marry, or they're red gum, they're eucalypt. And some years they blossom prolifically, and it's just like this green tree just turns white with flowers. And in those years, you get no bird pressure. But in years when there's no marry blossom, the birds are just voracious. And because we're surrounded by so much national park, uh, you, you just get hammered by birds. So everything's netted, but they still give you a hard time. But anyway, 20 was <coughs> the stars aligned, it was good marry blossom. Um, all of our cabernets, almost all of our cabernets, are, are actual blends. They have got a couple of other varieties in there as well. Okay. This one's got a little bit of Cab Franc, um, Merlot Petit Verdot. Um, at the top and the more premium tiers and reserve, I tend to rely more on Malbec. Okay. Um, but yeah, you see, it's got all those hallmarks, you know, it just tastes like home to me. It's got all those hallmarks of, of Margarita Cabernet and all the, the cassis and those sort of lovely sort of dried herbs, um, bay leaf, uh, mm -hmm. Maori kind of characteristics. Um, and I think that's one of the nice things about um, Cabernet from Margaret River, so you can get all this tannin ripeness, but it still maintains that fingerprint of, of Cabernet, where there's, you know, inherently there's a leafiness and there's a, there's a freshness to, to Cabernet. Um, for me, I don't like it when it's that full capsicum green bell pepper or unripe, you know, or asparagus or... Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> but on the, on the same token, I don't like it when it's so ripe that it loses its varietal integrity and regional integrity. It's like it's just red wine. And it can be pluggable, but it's, it doesn't really have a, a personality or an identity anymore. What's the deal with, I've interviewed some people like on IG Lies, but eucalyptus, how many, like there's, how many varieties of eucalyptus are there in Australia? Like that's just like. Oh, hundreds. Yeah, like, it's yeah. insane. E eucalyptus. Um, um, you mentioned fact, that tree. Well, yeah, and that, that's, it's in that. It's in, that's in a actually, family, right? That's in, that's Carimbia, that one. But yeah, it's all it's all in that sort of same sort of family. Okay. Um, 
and yeah, it's everywhere. It's you know you do see some of that sort of um, slight minty character yeah. in some of the wines. Maybe not so much this one, but um, and certainly it's very vineyard specific. For me, I don't mind it in, in in small doses when you get a little bit of that character. I think it adds a really lovely freshness and it gives it some longevity. When it's too much, I think it overpowers. And again, I, I, don't, I want the influence. I want to taste this variety, not the variety of that tree, right? Or that tree, which happens to be French oak. Do you know what I mean? I wanted, <laughs> I, I wanted to actually just have the, look the, at that French oak. French oak is a tree. Yeah. Right? <laughs> nah. Every time the my main point is like you know the loudest voice in the glass should be the vineyard, not the winemaker or mm. the or the or the you know substance over style. Yeah. Don't chase the style so much that it overrides. I love that. The, the, the loudest voice in the glass. So. So then we have this is a vine work twenty twenty and and the vine work is also as a multi vineyard so I know this is the, I, yeah we talked about the single vineyard stuff is so small but like um, are this are these some of the same vineyard sources and just barrel selections that you put together how do you put together these blends uh, at this entry level you know at the entry level circa seventy seven it's more by batch even the vine work you know this is I'm not sure about U S pricing I think this is like. 20 and this yeah, is 26 or something like that. Um, so it really becomes a, a batch by batch proposition. Gotcha. It's more when we get to the premium and the reserve, then we really go down to that barrel selection. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, you still taste every single barrel yep. every, before every barrel movement and before every blend goes together. You know, if he said barrel movement, not barrel. Yeah, yes. barrel movement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, barrel <laughs> movement. <laughs> No. He said to taste every barrel. Well, yeah. Um, I, um, I digress. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the top end, yeah, you're looking at every barrel. Uh, but you, again, sometimes interesting though. This has a different nose profile immediately. A little bit darker, richer. Yep. And I guess that's that's when you look at that that price point, that step up. Yep. Um, there's more Horton clone here, whereas the Circa 77. In fact, it's all Horton clone. The Circa 77 is a different clone. Uh, SA126, it's just a number, it just means it came out of South Australia and that's that's what was, a, a lot of that was planted in the 90s when, the, when there was a real big boom and expansion in, in Margaret River and a lot of this cabinet got planted and it was planted for yield more so than anything else whereas as you step up the range, you know, from here and certainly these guys, mm -hmm. um, they're exclusively Horton clone which is, as I was talking about, Jinjin being a heritage clone for right. us. Mm -hmm. um, Horton's was a, it was a mass selection clone that Jack Mann, who was a very, you know, Famous winemaker at the Horton, Vin Horton Winery up in the Swan Valley, mm -hmm. who selected from these um, vines, you know, these mass sale selection, propagated those, and from there, the the Horton clone has really become a, a, a calling card of Margaret River. It's it sort of it loses its herbaceousness a lot earlier. The tannins are really malleable and ductile relative to SA one two six. You don't need to hang it to. Um, 14 Beaumont. What do you guys talk about? Beaumont or Bricks here? Bricks. Yeah, you don't have to hang it to, you know, 28 Bricks or anything yeah. stupid like that. Now you, you can pick it at um, yeah, 24 Bricks or something, you know, much more moderate. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's, it actually, everything said it's more plush than yeah. the other one. Um, and tasty. So, awards, like we, when, when I read your intro bio, uh, staggering amount of 339 gold medals. Um, so, for 
listeners out there who don't know, which, and for me, the more, but uh, talk about the holiday, who James Halliday is, why is it important in Australian wine, and yeah. because you won the Halliday Award, and then we'll also get to the gold medals, but like, you know, like, you know, I think James Halliday, is it fair to say, he's like, for Australian wines, what Robert Parker was for like California Cabernet. Oh, no, he's the, he's the Dalian, you know, the godfather of Australian wine um, media. Yeah. Um, he was originally a lawyer, his background, but of then, course. then he came through and, uh, you know, the, the Halliday uh, companion now, it's not just one person, it's, it's an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's got know, eight writers on his staff, mm -hmm. uh, but he's, and he's getting on now, he must be late 80s. Um, but he's probably the most, well not probably, he's undoubtedly he's the most well-respected and, and recognised um, wine journalist in Australia. So, um, yeah, to win the Winemaker of the Year Award from, from the James Halliday, not just James, but from the, from the uh, panel of, mm -hmm. of judges, it was, yeah, incredible accolade. Um, um, and something that I'll, I'll, you know, it's kind of career-defining for me. Um, but again, it's not one person. Like I'm really, I'm yeah. grateful. But uh, you know, there's a lot of people on the journey of who have been a big part of a lot of these happy ones. Um, and as far as the shows go, it's interesting. I was talking about shows with the journalists today, and was, um, you know, the Australian wine show system is quite unique in that it's it's um, so impartial. It, it's so rigorous. Like when you have a wine show in Australia. Uh, you, you know, you divide it up, you've got panels of three, one of them's a panel chair, you've got two associate judges in a panel, you know, classes get split up, every single wine you try is blind, you score the wines, you, you know, you basically uh, end up agreeing on a certain score, and anything that's a gold, you ask for a callback, and say you've got a, I don't know, let's say you've got a uh, 50 wine class, mm -hmm. you might get six callbacks, um, which is, you know, what's that, just over 10%, which is a pretty high percentage, but they want to all go through. So, and you, you, you don't have a dog in a fight. Like, you, you might have nominated, oh, look, I really got to put all my money on wine 15. This is an awesome wine. I really want to see this come back. And if your panel chair or if I'm panel chair, I'll say, okay, I'll leave it. We'll bring that one back and I'll have another look at it. And so, but then all those wines that you've tried in the first round, they come back re-randomized, blind again, and then you're looking at them again. So... It really is, um, it gets a lot of rigor when, when you uh, go through that one show system. You know, the, it's winning a gold medal in one show doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna win a gold mm -hmm. in another, mm -hmm. but it's that consistency. And a lot of people sort of um, misinterpret, it's not like the Olympics, like there's one gold, one silver, one bronze. In any given class, there could be three golds, mm -hmm. five silvers and 15 bronze. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about recognizing a, a, a level of excellence God. rather than just ranking the, the, the top ones. Right. And then of those top, they have a top goal in each class, which is like the best one of every class. They'll go through a game, and that's when you go down for, for trophies. And the trophies are, are um, yeah, next, they are best of class from across Australia. And, and that's, that's, you know, you have regional shows, and then you have capital city. Every state, or almost every state, some states don't have a wine industry, because they're like Northern Territory and stuff. Um, the climate's not right, but they have their Capital City show, and um, they, uh, they're the qualification grounds for the national show. So it goes from that, if you get a goal in a, in a Capital City show, 
you qualify to go into the national show. So when you're looking at the national show, you it's not like you know anybody can enter. There's a qualification criteria to get into there, so it really is the best of the best. And I guess that's where like this one here is it's probably a good segue. Um, it's 2019 premium cabernet. Um, uh, won the National Wine Show Trophy for Cabernet. Okay. Which is, it's a great accolade for us, but what is absolutely mind-blowing, and I still can't believe it, is it's the ninth consecutive year that we've won the, the Cabernet Trophy in the National Wine Show with nine different wines. Wow. Um, so I, I guess it's great for Xanadu, but for me, it's, it's more about... Um, it's as much about its testimony to the, to the strength of Cabernet and Margarita. Um, you know, if you look at the Capital City Wines show system, Margs has won probably more than um, more than sixty percent of the Cabernet trophies, and like we, we produce like about two percent of the whole nation's crush. Um, wow! And I guess that puts it into perspective yeah. like how the strength of Cabernet from Margaret River. You know, when you're doing, you know such a small amount of the whole crush of Australia, but that disproportionate amount of um, That's recognition. Yeah. And so there's, is there any Shiraz or any Roland stuff growing down there? I mean, again, we talk about people have stuff tucked away, or people just, we're just dialed in on Bordeaux varietals. And oh, I think, you know, that's, we really hang a hat on these hero varieties. Yeah, my group, which you should. I mean, yeah, them. but look, Shiraz does really, Shiraz grows great down there. Yeah. Um, um, Unlike a lot of places in Europe, there's no rules in Margaret. Um, there's no rules in Australia. You can right. plant whatever you want. Exactly. Whatever you want, wherever you want. Yeah. So it's, it's the Wild West. Um, um, so, you know, people are experimenting with different varieties all the time. Um, but I, I think that there's, um, you know, Cabernet in particular and Chardonnay, they're, they're disproportionately um, how well that they. Um, Achieve third-party endorsement through shows and journeys for the amount uh, that's planted in the rest of the world. Um, you know things are you know notwithstanding you know climate change, things are getting warmer. Yep. Um, Marks is actually you look at the data; it's quite remarkable how Margaret River is not warming anywhere near as fast as other parts of Australia, and that's this you know this moderating influence of the ocean. Right. Ocean on three sides, you know north, south, and west. Um, so you know that's great. However, it is getting drier. Um, so that might have an influence on what people are planting in, in the future, or, or maybe putting stuff on rootstocks um, to have a different response to that sort of dry environment. Yeah. How do you uh, like? What's your philosophy of winemaking? Because you've been doing this for a while, you lead your, your team. Yeah, my, my philosophy is, it's going to sound pretty boring, but it is keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, I honestly think that if you start tinkering too much, mm -hmm. um, again, that becomes the fingerprint of the winemaker, not the vineyard. Mm -hmm. So from a, one thing that I do is like, you know, this whole, this wineworks range, mm -hmm. you see how it, like, it looks like there's, a, there's tracks going through the vineyard? Yeah. You know, that's... They originally they said we should put a GPS on me because I just walk so many rows to the vintage. Right. And so I walk a, a hell of a lot of rows and for me the most important thing that I think sets our wines is the reason why our wines go right is um, just identifying the really best parcels of the vineyard and not being afraid to like 
sometimes it's easy to just go, cool, go and pick block 15. Right. But I like to walk the vineyard so much so I go, right, there's differences within this block. Let's pick that part and that part and that part. And sometimes that end of the row is different to that end of the row. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's like, right, now the challenge is, because it's differential harvesting is a pain in the ass because you, you got to take the nets off, you harvest half a row, then you pull the pinch out on the machine, you leave the rest and you come back a week later and pick it all. And so like they, they actually had this little, they used to, I had a little voodoo doll at work. My, my vineyard guys had a voodoo doll because I was like, that bastard, he's going to make us do it again. And, um, <laughs> um, but then I said, well, let's put the challenge back to you guys, even it up. You know, do maybe some differential irrigation or some um, using some mulch or doing something in the vineyard so that we've got consistency. So the outcome of actually walking a lot of rows and really identifying the best parcels allows you to vinify them separately. And to be honest, I don't really care if it's an open fermenter, a rotary fermenter, a static fermenter. For me, it's more important about capturing what you see in the vineyard. Uh, you know, I've got preferences, but if I've got to make a choice, it's going to be on maintaining the integrity of that batch of fruit. And then when you put blends together, you've got the opportunity to just got more colours on your palette to paint a picture with rather than picking everything in a, the same sort of uh, shade, if for lack of a better word. I think having shades, you know, even with barrels, like I get two kinds of barrels, mm-hmm. white and black. Right. So I get barrels that are um, like really fragrant, subtle, and very fruit respectful. That might be maybe two thirds of the new barrels that I buy, and then I get barrels that are darker and toastier and big impact and quite powerful. And I guess that's an example of what I like to see in the vineyard as well. It's like, if you've got white and black, then when you put a blend together, you can make any shade of grey that you want, rather than just buying grey barrels, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it allows you to, again, the loudest voice is a vineyard, but you're orchestrating the vineyard to achieve something. It's all, not the vineyard, but the way you're picking it char allows you to create a wine that speaks to the vineyard and oh, yeah. this block versus that block and what it, it's going to bring to your ultimate cuvee. Yeah, for sure. And then from that perspective, you get it right in the vineyard and then you don't have to dick around with it so much in the winery. Like, I don't add tannin, I don't fine, but just what you see is what you get. Um, that's red and white. I'm going to puff and bend tonight for the whites just to make it heat stable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just think that that's a much more sort of purest expression of what you see in the vineyard. And then other than that, it's just keep it simple and just have faith in, you know, hire good people and have faith in good people and have good relationships with your growers. And uh, yeah, they're on board with you. Is there anybody in the Margaret River area, um, because you've talked about you spontaneous spontaneous ferments, I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff that some people consider natural wines. Um, are there, are there, is, there, is that movement, has that taken hold in Margaret River or is it still kind of just... No, no, there's, there's definitely an element of people who are going down the, the natural wine path and organic, like 12% of Margaret is grown organically. Mm-hmm. Um, these aren't organic wines, but, but these are, you know, if you have a look on the back, uh, uh, it's not on the US label. Uh, on the, we have this, this trust mark here. Yes. Um, so yes, the sustainable certified. Yeah, yes. we probably, probably replaced it with the Surgeon General warning. Probably. There's not enough room on the back. I love the, the barcodes so retailers yeah. can uh, yeah, that, that, that sustainability aspect is, is a big part, but there's definitely a, a, a movement for, and people are really, really interested in natural wines. Yeah. Um, and 
I reckon that's awesome. Like, you know, we have natural ferment, we're pretty mm -hmm. low intervention. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that, as a region and as an industry, is we need to, uh, you know, be a very broad church. Because if you look at Chardonnay 25 years ago, and a lot of Australian Chardonnay was kind of sunshine in a bottle, yellow, bit of, fair bit of oak, buttery mellow, big alcohol, and it got a lot of booze into people's mouths. But then it didn't really have that diversity. And I reckon that's one of the things that, if we have diversity, whether that's big bold styles, natural wine, elegant, fine, tight styles, with mellow, without <laughs> mellow, that diversity just future-proofs a wine. Because within your own region, you've just got this scope and everybody's not trying to do just the same thing. So yeah, no, there's, there's, there's all walks of life when it comes to the winemaking in, in, well, not just Margaret River, in, in most areas of Australia. When you think about, you alluded to this, like a style, so Australia in the early 2000s got known for big, bombastic yep. Shiraz. Mm -hmm. Like 15 was low alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I guess that was, a, was something that was in vogue at yeah. the time. You know, people were chasing Parker points at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't think you saw a lot of those out of, um, out of Margaret River, yeah. certainly not Shiraz, but um, it's it's interesting though because there was a little time in, Sh in Margaret River where um, there has been some style trends in Margaret River, and if you look at Margaret River Cabernet, for example, some of the Cabernets that put Margaret on the map were you know twelve and a half, thirteen percent alcohol, right, right. and they did have that sort of pyrazini and right. ribena thing, and then during the early two thousands, that same period that you're talking about. Everything went really quite ripe and big and bombastic, and you know, there was sometimes some, there was a bit of bread around at the same time. And I think that pendulum's gone from there to where we are now, where people are much more comfortable in their own skin. Some people are making big wines, some people are making elegant wines, and everything in between. And yeah. again, it's the diversity. Yeah. But an interesting thing about that is, and I, it was pointed out to me by Dave Homeland, who's a, um, a legend of my River, he's the founder of Cape Mattel, is that. Uh, it was in the mid '90s when bird nets became affordable, okay. and uh, and so half the reason why those wines were those early wines were like twelve and a half percent alcohol and so on was people had to pick it before the birds Bird started thing. flogging it, wow. and then during it's the so funny. yeah, and then and, and then going to the mid '90s, <laughs> early 2000s, winemakers you know had with nets just like shit, we can push this right. and we can turn the dollar up to eleven. Right. And that's where these big, big wines come. And at the same time, as a lot of people maybe chasing Parker points and so on. Yeah. Uh, but that pendulum's, you know, well and truly, yeah. like, it's swinging all over the show, which I think is great. It's like, it, as long as everyone's marching to their own drumbeat and comfortable in their own skin, it's good. But it's 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 funny how there's there's styles and trends, and and there's sometimes it's it's market driven, and sometimes it's actually practically driven. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's I, that is. I was like, that makes sense. They're, they're, they're picking the fruit before it gets super ripe and the birds just go to town. Yeah, I didn't, just when Dave told me that, I was like, oh wow, that's a penny drop moment for me. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, a few more questions for you. Um, I play a game, it's called FMK. F rhymes with truck. So it's, it's, a, it's the grape you would truck, uh, marry and for grape you marry, and then K is grape kill off a grape. So um, I'm going to give you 
Let me do something different. I, and I, I think what is interesting because you know, but like, okay, so Pinot Noir, yeah, Sangiovese, and Grenache. Well, three three varieties I don't make. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I assume that you drink wine other than your own. <laughs> I do, yeah. So. But it's quite funny because I don't drink a lot of Pinot at all. Uh, I guess that's because you know Cabernet is is really something that's in my mind. So, um, okay, so one I want to marry, one I want to one I want to truck, one I want to truck, and one I want to kill. Yes. I reckon I want to truck the uh, Grenache. Nice. Uh, Grenache is having a really nice revival in, uh, in You guys got some of the oldest vines in the world down there too, yeah. not, not in Australia, not in Waterloo, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's so versatile, man. It makes just lovely gluggable reds and it can make some really uh, impressive um, wines that are age-worthy. Yeah. It makes amazing rosé. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I'll, I'll, um, so I'll have a quickie with some Grenache. Okay. Uh, and ooh, this is hard because I'll upset, I'll probably upset people. Well, that's part of the game too. So. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's like a, it's, 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 the the only, it's only it's the only gotcha part of when I interview it. It's not even a gotcha. It's just I actually you get to show your wine making or your wine drinking ass, right? You're like, oh, I'm naked. Like the emperor has no clothes. Like, yeah. ah, you know. No, no, no. It's a lose lose though. It's like I think I would probably uh, I'd marry Sangiovese. Wow. As opposed to Pinot. Yeah. Um, I just think, you know, there's, you know, some of the, I've tried some old Sanjos that are fantastic and so, you know, let's, let's, if I'm going to enter into this relationship for the long term, mind you, uh, you kept, there's some good Pinots going around as well, but like, yeah, no, I, just I, don't mean, drink, I just don't drink a lot of Pinot. Pinot's kind of fickle too, like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that yeah. attitude today. Exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> the Pinot's so up and down, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, God, good Actually, that's a good one because it's like, that's, I guess that's one of the reasons, particularly in Margaret Pinot, like Pinot generally in a lot of parts of the world, but in Margaret River, you know, I, I can't be, I can't be stuffed for like a, nine years of heartache for one year of glory. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. with that boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I just, you know, Cabernet in Margaret River, yeah. And, and when we have the new Cabernet, we have the, the this is like your, the, like a, your high-end bottle, this is like your reserve bottle. So it's our reserve, um, again, not sure. And again, you can just, the color, the aromas. Yeah, and so this, this is, is extremely age-worthy too, I can tell you. Oh, totally, yeah, like, that's, that's one of the things, like, Cabernet these days, particularly this topping, you know, 120 bucks a bottle, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, people are dishing out some clams for that, so they, they want to be able to put it in their cellar. But it's one of those things where these days, you know, not, I can't remember the stats, I'm like 95% of wines are drunk. 48 hours. Yeah, so yeah. it's like they're getting aged in the car on the way home. Right. And it's not like it's not like Cabernet <coughs> 25 years ago where you bury it downstairs right. and draw a treasure map so you can come back to it right. in 25 years time. Right. Right. But these days people want the best of both worlds. So it's, it's interesting, you want to have something that's got plush and density and that, that um, uh, opulence as a young wine but also be age-worthy, and it's kind of a hard, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. a, 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 a tricky thing to do, but I think, I think Mark's Cabernet does it really well. This has got, again, 5% Petit Verdot, 5% Malbec. What's um, the oak on this? Huh? What's, What's the oak? It's about 40%. Um, but it's there, it's not yeah. dominant, it's just, it's just holding it up. Yeah, it's so not, it's not oaky, but you can tell I mean, 
frames are very nice. Like. Yeah, I like to, like with the barrel, with the, it's 40% new oak, it's all in oak, of yeah. course. But like, put the blend together, like keep everything separate for as long as possible, for the same reason I was talking about before, with like maintaining the integrity of parcels. Put the blend together, and then depending on the season, put it all back to barrel, but in the oldest barrels you've got. So that if it had 40% new oak, and then you put it back, you put the blend together, and then just rack it, or just barrel it down to some old oak, it just marries it, and, and then that, just that extra time in some old old barrels that have essentially got no oak, it just marries the fruit and the wood, and I just think it integrates it really nicely. Um, but yeah, no, it's 2020, as I said, it was, a, it was an amazing season. Um, the one thing with 2020 that was, you didn't stop and smell the roses at the time, like, and you know, you, we were, because of the pandemic. Oh yeah? Like, you know, like, you, you guys were massive lockdown, a lot of Australia was in lockdown in West Australia because we had such a hard border. I think we got, in my room, we got two three-day lockdowns. That was it. Yeah. But it was that whole unknown. It was unfolding right during harvest. Yeah. And, you know, hand-picking got nailed, you know, too, too proximity of people's too much. And even harvesters were like, it was getting really hard to get people to pick fruit. And, you know, I, like I said, I'd really like to make sure that we've got a great team environment and camaraderie. And, you know, when you've got like a 22-year-old French girl just in tears saying, I'm so sorry, I have to go home. There's a, uh, a French government plane coming to Perth picking up and it's like, yeah, wow. and I'm like, man, you just deal with your friends, your family, your health. Yeah. That's, that's just grapes. Yeah. You know, we'll live. Yeah. Um, but um, it wasn't until afterwards when stuff's bottled and then you go, man, that was a good vintage. It right. was a really, really right. good vintage. That's amazing. So... 25 some odd years at Xanadu? 24, 25 years. Yeah. I'm waiting for the gold watch next year. Yeah, I'm on the 25th year. Um, what, what excites you about the future? It's always what's next in barrel. Like, it's like, oh man, I can't wait for the 22s to come out. Like, the 22s are smoking. 23 was great. Um, it's, honestly, it's people. Like, I, uh, I think um, the fact that I've got a great team around me, it's fun going mm -hmm. to work. You know, it's like, you know, Brenna, who was up until recently my assistant one, like he's, he's, he's spread his wings and he deserves to because, you know, I ain't going anywhere. I've been right. for a long time, so yeah. he's got to. But it's so cool, like, for example, to get a text at half five going, hey man, you want to go for a surf before work? And, you know, this is, these are the guys that you're working with, so you get up, it's only 10 minutes to the beach, go surfing. It's a pretty amazing place to live and work and. <coughs> Yeah, I just want to keep keep the Cabernet train going. Come over here, make Cabernet great again. <laughs> <laughs> make Mark River Cabernet great again. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, man. And so, um, one more question: um, Is there a landmark bottle, a bottle that really started off here? I mean, you said you got a light bulb moment you walked in, saw the tank, but was there a bottle of wine? that you had somewhere early on or uh, like, uh, to be honest it was probably back when I was uh, when he was at 20 years old mm -hmm. and that whole you know I was working in France and they said go to the cellar and pick whatever you want uh, and I just liked that one with a nice, nice label and it was it was like for me it was just yeah I, I just the stars aligned and I just went oh, everything just sort of fell into place yeah um, yeah. You know, there's been lots of bottles since then, but I kind of always think 
that's kind of, I still feel like, you know, I'm 53, I still feel like a big, big kid because it might be the next bottle. Yeah. You know, and that's why I was like, that was the first one, yeah. but there's been a lot since then. And yeah. it's still like, even now, it might be, I might have it tonight. Yeah. That's the next. And then I've about wine, like, shit, I've been drinking wine for 30 years, blown away by that bottle. Isn't that yeah. the best? Yeah. That's just the best feeling, like, you never know. Like, I love that. I love that answer too, man. Glenn, man, thanks so much, man. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, oh, man, spending some time talking about your life, talking about your life. Nah, no, it's been awesome. Thanks, Gibbs. It's been, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just like a, a conversation. I told you. At, at home, around the place. That's right. And for all the listeners, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find info on the wines we drink. I'll put links to their website, links to their Instagram. And until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's your boy MJ saying, peace. See you guys. Okay, it's obvious that I love Grenache. But I think by now you guys will also know that I just love wine. And that's why on Saturday, November 4th, we are hosting a not just Grenache tasting in association with Grenache Fest. Once again, it'll be held at the Motor Co. in downtown Walla Walla. And tickets are just $35 per person. And we will be featuring wines from some of the top producers in the Walla Walla region. Go to GrenacheFest.com to purchase your tickets today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.